1, Daniel chapter 1, you know, you see Megan, Bethany, Andrew, they're all able to sing great. We have tracks for free. If you want to grab tracks um, off the, um, the stand there, please take some and use them. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to talk about tonight is most people do not have a problem with sharing Jesus Christ with a stranger, with someone, if the conversation has already started. The hardest part I have found for most people is the approach. And what I want to try to teach you tonight is how to be able to approach anyone and be able to get into a Bible conversation and to use tracks. A lot of times I have noticed where people have tracks, probably tracks in this place where you have them, you've handed them out, but if I said, well, what's on the second page or what's on the third page, you probably don't know. <laughs> Most people don't know, and I've had that happen to me where I had a track, and I had, this is one of my favorite ones, Why Did Jesus Die? Because it already starts with a question. And when I first started using it, they said, well, what does it say on the second page? I'm like, you know what? Let me see. <laughs> I handed out probably about 500 of them, and I didn't read it yet. That does happen. You have done it too. Don't make fun of me. Um, and one of the things I want to do tonight, it's very important. I've found in all the places I've gone, and if you want the entire PowerPoint, because I won't have enough to go through all of it, it's like 500 pages worth of notes. But if you want the full extent of it, um, I have that document. I can hand it to you. I've given out many times because I just want us as Christians to be better soul winners. Um, as a person who got saved and not expecting to go to heaven, I know that I'm not worthy. One of the things that I realize is if I can do any good for my Savior, it'd be to tell people about what happened to me, what he did for me. And I, I can tell you there's been thousands of people I've talked to, but there's some people I've, that encouraged me there was a guy in New York, before we get to this passage, I'm, I know I'm just rambling here, but I try not to. But this is, a, this is a good point right here. He had one of those sandwich signs of the gospel on him. I'm always weary of those who have like posters of, of scripture hanging and, and they're yelling. I'm a street preacher, but I do not street preach like that. I'm actually pretty calm. I talk about the weather and about, you know, I see this building, you know, there's a builder, you see creation, and you know there's a creator, and you know that he loves you and me. I'm, I'm kind of the calm person. So when he had scripture sandwiched, you know, on him, you know, with those sandwich signs, I, I remember my friend who was on the subway was like, I got to talk to this guy. Was, who is this guy? You know, what's he doing? You know, hurting the name of Christianity, you know. So he would get off. He, he had his sandwich. This guy would get off. When it stopped, he would walk up and down the aisle, hand out a few tracks, and get back in. And we get to the next stop, and we had like eight stops. You know, he had eight stops to, before he got off, and he would do it back and forth. So my friend being pretty bold and said, hey, 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 why, why are you doing this? I mean, why, why are you handing out these tracks and causing all sorts of ruckus with your signs? He goes, well, because I, I, I have a... Sp- Teach impediment so I can't talk, but I want to be used of God. And we were cut to the heart, thinking this guy, he can't speak the way we do, but he wants to do something for God. 
And so all he would do was just hand out 10 tracks to stop on his lunch break because he was no preacher. He just wanted to do something for God. Now, we don't know how long he did it afterwards, but he said he was doing it for 10 years. And he had over 3,000 people call back and said they got saved. How many didn't call? How many didn't call? God can use any of us. I had a message that I was going to do, but God pressed upon my heart. It's interesting. I didn't know about some of the lost loved ones that you guys had. And so I feel like um, God chose this message for you guys. Um, In Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, the Bible says, starting in verse number 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Eshpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, and he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, there, there are th- three major sieges that happened on Jerusalem. All right? In f- 605 B.C., all right, they come down and they attack the city. Now, let me kind of put it this way. I'm going to kind of explain. In 605, 597, and 586 B.C. are three important dates in in Old Testament history, 586 being a key one, like 70 A.D. is to the New Testament. Now, there was Assyria, Assyria, you know, the the Assyrian Empire, Tiglath-Pileser and all those people, pretty strong, very, very powerful. Then you had the small little city-state, Babylon, all right? But Nabopolizer had a son who was a great general. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. You've probably heard of him. Now, he goes forth, and he, in 722 B.C., he conquers Assyria, but his, his anger and his wrath and his uh, you know, punishment on mankind was not through. He goes through, and he starts taking over city after city, place after place, all the way down to Pharaoh Necho in Egypt, and he conquers Egypt, and he is, man, he is strong. He's conquered all this land, and he finds out that his dad just dies. Now he is now the king of everything that he just conquered. What's the first thing you realize when you just become king? I want someone to serve me. I don't know if I've never been king, but that's probably what he was thinking. And so he goes back to Jerusalem, and the, the three, we had three kings in that time. Jehoiakim, which is mentioned here, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah, the last three kings of Israel. Not good guys. Remember, Zedekiah died, and um, he, he, he died in Babylon but didn't see it because what happened to his eyes? They were plucked out. Yeah. Um, not a good life. So all this is going on. So you see this as, as happening. So the first siege, he's coming back, and he decides to take some, some servants, right? He takes Daniel and his friends, some royal servants, to go serve him. He comes down again in 597 B.C., and he takes 10,000 craftsmen to the river Kabar. That's where you get the book of Ezekiel. And then he comes down again in 586 B.C. where he destroys Jerusalem. And in the midst of there, you had another prophet, Jeremiah, who pretty much weeps from A to Z where you get lamentation. So you have a lot going on during this time. But in the first siege, when he comes into the city, he's like, I want to grab some royal servants to serve me. And here amongst them is some people. It says in verse 4, children in whom was no blemish, 
but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding, science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which uh, he drank, so nourishing them three years. And at the end thereof, they might stand before the king. And among them, the children of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, obviously from the tribe of Judah. Think this. Daniel was among those special children, maybe royalty or maybe serving in the palace. Maybe he was just a wealthy family. He probably had some expectations of his life, right? I mean, as a young boy, he's probably like, I might go to college over there. I really like Stacy, and she lives down the road. I'm going to marry her. Yeah. She doesn't know it yet, but I will be her husband. And he's probably thinking he might take the family business, and he might live in the same house that his parents lived, his grandparents lived. He just loves his future. But do you think he ever expected that his entire life was going to be turned upside down, where an empire was going to conquer his land, and he was now going to be not a royal, but a servant in a foreign field? You know, what do we do as Christians when our expectation of life is no longer reality? When what we thought we were going to be or where we were going to be or what we were going to do is no longer possible. Daniel thought he was going to grow up in Jerusalem, but he's not. He thought he was going to be amongst maybe married, but he's not. He thought he would take over the family business, but he's not. You thought maybe you'd go to college at 19, but you didn't. You thought you'd be married in your 20s, but you're not. Maybe have kids in your 30s, but you don't. You thought you'd achieve some great success, uh, like I thought as soon as I became a pastor, I was going to win 5 million people to the Lord, and I'd have this huge church. And I remember the first situation I had was with um, a lady in the family, a lady in the church. I moved a cast iron chair. It didn't even have a cushion on it. But anyways, I moved it so I could put the piano closer to the pulpit, about like this. See how good this is? How amazing this is? And so they come into my office, my first meeting. They're going to ask me about some Bible topic. I'm so excited. And so I said, what can I I help you with? Yeah. You know that cast iron chair? Yeah, yeah. That was our grandmother's. Okay. You moved it. Yes. You understand that was our grandmother's. Yep, I don't understand. Was she sitting there? I, I, don't, I don't really know the question. I don't, what did I do wrong? I don't really know. Well, I just, we would like to take it back, please, or else we're leaving. Going where? I go out with you. Where are you going to go? I have no idea what's going on. It was a cast iron chair that didn't even have a cushion. It was just sitting there. I, she wasn't sitting with us. She's in heaven, hopefully, right? I mean, so I didn't know what was going on, and yet they were mad at me. Why? Don't know. <laughs> And so I realized, man, wait a minute. Um, what's the expectation here? I thought I was going to win 5 million people to the Lord, and I'm losing people because I moved a cast iron chair. <sighs> you might think that you're going to achieve something or be somewhere when you're older. Maybe you think all your kids would turn out for the Lord, and they didn't. 
maybe think you would get to see your children get married, but an accident prevented that, and no longer can you do so. As Christians, let me ask you this. What can you do when your expectation of your life is no longer reality? That's what I want to talk about this morning. When your expectation is no longer reality. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we pause for a moment because we know that you are a great God who sees the end from the beginning. You are the end from the beginning, Lord. And God, we are your children. And we want nothing more than to be used of you. Father, we know one day you're going to come back and receive us unto you. And where you are, we will be also. But we know right now you have left us with a purpose and with the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. And I ask right now, Lord, that you will be with this church, be with every individual here, and let this message reach the hearts of your children, your, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, in a way where they will leave here stronger and more in love with you than when they came. Lord, it is hard, extremely difficult, to go through hard times where people don't understand. But yet, Lord, you do. And you love us and you embrace us and you have compassion upon us and you are still here knowing that you will not put us through more than we can handle. So I ask right now in your name that you'll be with this message that people will allow it to change their lives. And Father, I pray we'll leave here with a greater love for you. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. So the first thing I want us to recognize from this passage as we get into verse number 8 is that we need to trust God even when things don't make sense. If you look down at verse number 8 of chapter 1 of Daniel, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself of the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. This is a very strange thing. He just lost his future, his family, his country. He lost everything. Why then would he not get rid of his God also? I mean, you got to understand, he's in a situation, unless his faith is strong, why not? Okay, listen, I lost everything. Okay, I have nothing more to hold on to. So I guess there's gods of this new country, and it looks better if I worship them and do what the king asked me so I don't get in trouble. There's a lot of times when we go through a hardship in an in, in situation where we're like, wow, this is very hard, that we throw off God because we're wondering how then can we continue on and still be a good Christian. There was someone I remember talking to. It was a pastor's wife. She lost her son. And I love my children. I remember when Elijah was first born. Uh, I remember before he was born, I said, Lord, please give me a son and let him not be ugly. And so I got one of two, so it was good. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. You got more hair than me, so you're good. Um, I put him in the crib. I remember looking over him, weeping, like, God, please don't let him die. I I was afraid. There's nothing I can do. As a father, I I would protect him. If there was a dog, I would give up my life for him. Of course, you know. You would do it. What do you do against himself? He's just breathing. What happens if he turns over and I'm not awake? So I just would watch all night. And I go to Sarah. I said, Sarah, I can't do this every day. I, what do I do as a dad? I, I, don't, know how to, I don't know how to do this. You've got to trust God. I, I don't. What do I do? 
What happens if he dies? And this pastor's wife, she lost her son. And it was very hard, and it took her years before she could even step in church again. Because in her mind, she's like, how can I worship God when my heart is filled with grief? You know, um, there's very few Christians I've met as, as kind as my wife's mom, Grandma Jean. Uh, the kids would call her, and she just had a heart of giving. But her daughter was 23 years old. My sister's, or my wife's sister was 23 years old and died of cancer inside their house on their couch. And Sarah, I remember her telling me when she heard her mom screaming, it was a screaming that could actually pierce the very skin they had because it was a desperation scream. It wasn't a painful scream. It was like, I have nowhere else to turn. What do I do? I just lost my daughter. I'm supposed to go first. And she shared that. Of course, she had to sell the house. She, she couldn't see the same house where the memories are just too fresh. Yet, her mom was able to recover. and Her mom ran to church. Put, you know, and said, I, I need to go to church. I need my God here. Yet, there are some, they would say, and they'd put God on trial. Why would God do this to me? Why would God put me through this? Why would God take away my child? I had an expectation that I was going to walk my daughter down the aisle. Why would he do this to me? When your expectation is no longer reality, what can you do? Daniel shows us he decides to still trust God. He didn't run away from church. He ran to church. He didn't run away from God. He ran to God. He said, God... I've lost my country, but I didn't lose my God. I I lost my family, but I didn't lose my God. And so I'm going to purpose in my heart, as long as I still have breath, to give God the place he deserves, first place. Christians, you know, it's sad to say, I, I do know that if I lost a family member, it would be hard. I would struggle if I lost a child. I would struggle if I lost my wife. She's definitely my better half. But unfortunately, we as Christians, we throw off God for far less sicknesses or hard times. I lost my job, so I can't go to church. Sometimes we throw it off for fun. My kids got soccer practice on Sunday, so, man, we can't make it to church. Or we have sports, or, man, the game's on, or, you know what, I'm just feeling like I want to go to, the, to work out in the gym, so I can't make it to God's house today. Sorry, God, I have to put something aside. I have to choose something to lay aside, and today I choose you. Yet Daniel says, I can lose my country, my family, I can lose everything, yet I will still trust in God. And yet why, as bodies of Christ and and believers in the Lord, are we able to throw him off for far less? We want to say that we'll die for God, but many of us struggle living for him. As I look at this, I wonder, how many of us do we trust God in our finances? When times are hard, the first thing we go is we pray. Or do we seek counsel or financial aid? Not that those things are bad, but how many of us seek God for the answers? I remember when, you know, there was something going on and I I really needed to pray. And I missed the morning. I I pray every morning and I missed the morning prayer and I, I didn't pray throughout the day. And then I'm sitting in my bed and we lose power. 
And I thought, am I going to pray now? I mean, what else can I do? I can't watch TV. I can't read my, my Bible. I can't read any books. You know, there, there's Lights are out. So what am I going to do? Can I pray? How many of us still would say, sorry, God, I still don't have time? You see, when your expectation of your life is no longer reality, a lot of people in this world, lost people, look to us for help. But why do we, when a lot of things go wrong, actually walk away from God rather than running to him? You know that verse where it says, Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil? I always thought that interesting because in every movie I ever saw, every dinosaur movie, when you're in the valley and, and the dinosaurs running after you, what do people do? They run. They run. Ah, I'm going to die. They run. They kick their friend. <laughs> you get eaten. I'm going to make it. You know, they do whatever they can to survive. Yet in that psalm, the person was so confident in his God that in the one place in the valley where he was most likely to be destroyed, he was willing to walk. He wasn't running through it. He either way, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He trusted in the living God. Christians, I'm just trying to say, if you lose a, lose a loved one, you lose your job. Something changes where you lose your home. And you no longer have the same expectation that you had before because it's no longer reality. What can Christians do? They can trust God. And trusting God is coming to his house, being with his people, and opening up his word. It's not running away and isolating yourself, which so many people do. No, I just need time alone. I need time alone. Are you having time alone with God? No, I, you don't understand what I've gone through. No, you're right, I don't, but God does. God sent his son. God experienced what it means to lose a son. And yet, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So I ask yourself, am I still trusting God when my expectation is no longer reality? Daniel shows us that it's possible and that God can still use you. Are you doing the same? Something I did um, when I talked about trusting God in a message where I found too many people that I were counseling was putting God on trial. And I struggled with that. And so the message I preach, is this the God you serve? And I, I pretended to put him on trial. And in Psalm, it says in 1 Samuel 15, it says that God says to kill every man, woman, child, and baby, and even suckling of the Amalekites. Kill, even, even their animals. Kill them all. And so I, I had this um, sandbox. You have little Johnny and, you know, let's use uh, Danny. You know, Johnny and Danny. And Johnny is an Amalekite. Danny is an Israelite. And so you see the mom come and get the Israelite and say, come on, Danny, we got to go. Why? Well, because God, God's going to kill Johnny. Well, what, what did he do? Um, was, was he mean? No, 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 he wasn't mean. Was he, was he you know, hurting people? No, no, he's just a, a kid. Well, what did he do? Well, he was born of the wrong tribe. Okay, he, so God's going to kill him. So let's just head back. This is the God you serve? Is, is this is the God, this is the loving, caring God you serve? And as I began to build, you know, and they say, well, they were living in sin. Okay, Job. 
Job wasn't living in sin. I think from the scriptures it says he was a perfect and upright man who eschewed evil. I don't really know what that means, but it means he eschewed evil. Let's go with that. Okay, so he eschewed evil. Okay, sounds like, like some sort of bubble gum that you chew and spit or something. have no idea. But he eschewed evil, yet every one of his children died. He was a spectacle between Satan and God. Why? Did they die because he was in sin? No, because he was godly. You're saying if he wasn't quite as godly, maybe his kids would have lived and they would have walked down the aisle and he would have said, hey, I really love you, daughter. Here, I'm going to kiss you away. Hopefully this guy's good. No, but because he was perfect and upright and trying to live exactly the way God wants, God's going to allow him to have all his children die. This is justice? This is the God you serve? This is the God you trust? Come on. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times, we want to put God on trial. Why, God? Why would you put me through this? And the illustration that I use to explain is, God being all-knowing, and if you believe he is all-loving, then every decision he makes is good. Don't put God on trial. And I use this illustration. It's trite, a little funny, but maybe it will help you understand. Two angels were walking back to heaven. The older angel, call him Aaron. The younger angel, we'll call him Baron. (laughs) This is going to be fun. Actually, I didn't plan that. Um, But we're going to go with it. And so we come to the first house, and we have to stay the night. Being the wise old angel, I say, um, all right, well, can we stay at this house? It's got seven rooms upstairs. I mean, marble, you know, pillars. It's a beautiful house. And the rich family goes, all right, but we don't want you to dirty any of our rooms, so go sleep in the basement. Okay, and the younger angel, Baron, is not happy about this. He's like, can you believe that? Can we do like some fire from heaven and just consume them? I mean, come on. And the older angel says, well, there's some cracks in the foundation. There's some cracks in this house is going to fall. Yes, angel Baron says, oh, yes, finally, some justice being done. It's about time. Then the older angel seals up the cracks. Why'd you do that? Things aren't always what they seem. Just leave it alone. Sure. Well, then they travel about 20 miles, and they go to uh, this old, riggedy farmhouse. Okay, you have that porch where the paint is all chipping. They have the three steps going down. The middle one's broken, so you kind of have to hop over it. And then that screen door where it's only connected on the bottom part, so when you try to open it, it you know what I'm talking about. I hope it's not your home. Um, and so they come and you have just an older couple husband and wife and they said excuse me we're looking for a place to stay we're angels and we're just um, getting back to heaven we're just going to stay here the night oh sure sure we only have our one room but you can have it we'll sleep on the couch we only have one cow that brings in our food and milk and our sustenance so um, we only have milk and and bread so hopefully that's enough but everything we have is yours And the younger angel's like, I really wish we could do something for them. I wish we could bless them. Look at how kind they've been. Amazing and generous, filled with joy, compassion. What can we do to help them? Middle of the night, they sleep, and when they wake up, they hear the wife and the husband crying at the dinner table. And the younger angel, Baron, comes up and says, hey, what happened? Well, the only way... that we could provide for our family was that cow, and in the middle of the night, the cow died. We're going to have to sell our house, and 
We're going to have to move. We've been here for 50 years. I'm so sorry. When the angels get back to heaven, they said, okay, well, it's time to go. The younger angel, Angel Baron, is going, going into heaven. like, I'm not happy at all. I can't believe that. Why are the mean people being blessed? And the people who are filled with compassion and kindness, they went through such hardships. I don't understand. Why would God do this? The older, more wise angel. It's never been done like this before. This is really good. He says, things aren't always what they seem. You see, in the first house, there was cracks in the foundation. But in those cracks were gold and diamonds and rubies. They would have been able to build seven houses. And so because of their attitude and their rudeness, I sealed that up, and they only got the blessing of the works of their own hands. They won't find those treasures ever. In the next house, the angel of death came for the husband. And because of their compassion, we said, don't take the husband. Take the animal. They'll live another 30 years and have a great marriage. Things aren't always what they seem. You don't know why God does what he does in your life. But if you truly believe that our God is a God of love, don't ever put him on trial. Trust him with your life and the life of your family and your children because he knows best. Do you trust God? When your expectation is no longer reality, let's trust our God because he is good. The second thing we can do that we find from the scripture is pray. Turn to Daniel 6, verse 4. Daniel 6, verse 4. In Daniel 6, verse 4, it says, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto King Darius, Live forever. And you know the story. They basically make a law that you should only pray to the king and not to his God. And in verse 10, look at what it says of Daniel. Now when Daniel knew what the writing, when the writing was signed, he went into the house and his window being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. You know, Daniel's getting used to his life changing, right? I mean, he was taken from Jerusalem. Everything was lost, his family, his loved ones, maybe his future, his future wife, his country. And now he's here in Babylon. But now Babylon's been taken over. And now Persia is this new kingdom that is making him serve them and do all sorts of things. I'm sure they weren't exactly the most Christian, the most godly people. And he's just living amongst great body of believers. I think that he was trying to serve some heathen kings in a good way. Some of them might have been better than others, but let me just tell you, I'm sure it wasn't like Jerusalem what he was used to. So he could have in any way, shape, or form thrown off his God and just joined the country that was around him. But even still, in the midst of it, something like this, he could have different levels of trust. Okay, so there's a decree that says you can't pray any longer, so maybe you close the doors. Maybe you go into the closet. Maybe you have your head down like you're sleeping, but you're really praying. 
Maybe you go underneath your bed. I don't know what you would do. I, I can tell you, if you want honesty here, I probably would not have kept the doors open or the windows open. I probably would have closed the doors and said, God, you know my heart. I'm trying to honor you because I just want to spend time with you. But I really don't want to go in the lion's den. They look hungry. I just think that this is probably what's best. But he didn't do that. He had such trust in his God that he was willing to not change anything about his prayer life, even if the king of the land says, you can no longer pray. And I look at this and I wonder, what would be our expectation? If we think right now that we're allowed to pray, pray openly. You guys, we can get together and pray. You can pray with your wife. You can pray with your children. I'm, I'm hoping that right now you guys have a system of watching your kids pray. I'm hoping that this is normal, that as Christians, with no restrictions whatsoever, that we get to pray to the living God. But if there was a restriction that says, if you pray with your children, we will kill them and you, what would you do? Pause for a moment. Selah. Think on it. You as a Christian, strong and mighty, what would you do if our government says, if you pray, you die? What do you do? If you would say, I would pray, I would stand out in the street and say, I'm going to pray to my God with my hands out, then are you even praying now without restrictions? Ask yourself, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just asking as, as brothers and sisters, both trying to walk with the Lord, we have no restrictions of prayer, how often do you pray? When your expectation is no longer reality, do you trust God or do you sorrow and weep like the world weeps? Do you go to God and pray and deliver him all of your burdens and worship the living God in prayer? Supplications, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, including prayers. Do you do that even now without restriction? What happens when you no longer are allowed to pray to your God or your children die? What do you do? What will you do? Trust God and pray. It sounds easy, but if it really was, we'd be doing it all the time. And we wouldn't be reading about Daniel thinking, wow, what an amazing person to not change his prayer life in any way, shape, or form when the king is going to kill him. When he's about to be thrown into the lion's den, what do you do? I've struggled. I've told you about my struggle when I sold my house and I was homeless. I was wondering, what do I do? My wife told me to pray. She said, pray. And can I tell you? I did pray. But my prayer was not exactly... Lord God in heaven, holy are thou. I'm like, God, what's going on? What am I doing wrong? Please help me because I don't know what to do. If you have aught with a brother and you're struggling making up with that brother, do you try to find ways to justify why you are right? Or do you pray? Do you pray for him? Do you pray that maybe you guys can be best friends? And you're like, no, I don't expect that ever happening. Well, maybe your expectation is no longer reality. Because God wants you to be best friends with someone you might think is an enemy. 
You see, what I'm trying to get you to recognize is that things that are so easy in Christianity are things that are really hard. Trust in God when you want to trust yourself. When your house is burning down and you watch, you're like, yep, don't worry, I'm trusting God, it's no big deal. When one of your loved ones is sick, it's okay, we know God is in control. When you lose your job and now you have no money coming in, it's fine, God's good. It's hard. Maybe not for you, but I know it is for me. But I want to trust him just like Daniel. When you lose a loved one, pray. Even if they give restrictions, pray. It's so easy to pray, but why do we do it so little? Why? I remember the first time I was like, you know what? I want to pray for two hours. And I remember doing it. And when I was done, I couldn't stop praying. I couldn't just like, in Jesus' name, amen, and walk away. I was like, I still want to talk to God. And I might have stayed there for a whole other hour. Because it was just fun to be in his presence. Are you praying to God? He prayed every day. Do you? Lastly, we see here in Daniel 6, 16, Daniel served. It says in verse six, six, uh, in 16, Daniel 6, 16, it says, Then the king commanded that they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of, of the lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Now, stop for a second. Why is it Why is it Christians can hurt Christians more than the world sometimes can hurt them? I struggled with that because I got saved later in life. And I kind of, this is how I, I picture it, as an orange, and I'm almost done. As an orange, when you're out in the world, you're fake, okay? People prick you, but it never gets to the fruit. So you're just kind of doing that. But when I got saved, I wanted to be honest with everyone. I, I remember being honest about my sin, uh, you know, I remember I just got saved and I said, I, I got rid of all my rap music. I listen to Christian rap now. And someone's like, yeah, that's bad. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. That's gone too. Okay. I, I remember like just throwing that stuff away. And, and I would peel off the rind and my fruit was exposed. And I realized that I wasn't treating you just as friends like the world does, trying to protect and provide. I'm treating you as family. And how easy it is to prick the fruit then. And there were times when I remember as a pastor, and I think I told this in the Valentine's Day banquet. I can't remember. I'm sorry if I don't remember if you heard it. When I was pastoring, the deacon sat me down and was holding my wife's hand. He just read two pages of everything I was doing wrong. And I remember my wife squeezing my hand, and I don't remember if she was squeezing it for make sure I didn't get up and do anything crazy, or if she was thinking of doing something crazy, I can't remember. But what God asked me to do, and I'm going to share the story, was he wanted me to do something that I struggled doing. I did not see him as a friend. But then finally what happened was he cornered me into, when I was going to the bathroom, I came out, he cornered me into the corner as I was trying to get out of the bathroom. He pushed me like this, if you remember the story. So I sat him down. I grabbed his leather jacket. Now, as a wrestler, there was a moment I wanted to throw him. I really did. But I sat him down, took his shoes and socks off, and I washed his feet. And we wept like children. And we experienced a friendship that I realized that only God could have done amongst enemies. Why? 
because I wasn't going to give up serving my God and the people that he gave me just because of some issues between each other. When your expectation is no longer reality, what do you do? You should trust God, no matter how hard. And ask yourself, am I trusting him like I should? Or do I try to isolate myself? You should pray. Ask yourself, am I praying like I'm supposed to as a Christian? And I should serve. Maybe God's already called you to service, but you struggle serving some people in the church because you have a problem with their character. And you want to be their dad rather than their brother or sister. Realize that if God has it under control, he'll take care of it. Your job is to continue to serve with an unconditional heart. And let me tell you, it was not easy for me to wash that guy's feet. He was my enemy. He attacked my wife. He didn't like me as a preacher. Yet when we did that, God did something amazing. And God can do it also in the life of you and your brother and sister who you're considering an enemy if you just decide to continue to serve. Trust, pray, and serve even when your expectation is no longer reality. Every head bow and eyes closed, please. You say, Brother Hilliard, that message hit me deep. And I would like you to pray for me. I struggle trusting. I struggle praying for those, and I struggle serving even those that hurt me. But I want to make a change in my life. If that's you, raise your hand. See those hands all over. And put those hands down. It'd be wrong for me as an evangelist to say and leave here to ask, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you, you want to know him, you want to be known of him, but you're not sure if you're on your way to heaven. You're not 100% sure that he is your God. You say, Brother Aaron, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Will you pray for me? If that's you, raise your hand. I'll pray for you. If that's you, raise your hand. I'm going to pray. And as the piano plays, you come do business with God. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Our lives are changing every moment, but our God changes not. And Lord, I pray when our expectation of our life is no longer reality, that you help us to trust in you, help us to pray to you, and help us to continue to serve you as we serve those around us. Lord, I pray that if there's any bitterness towards a brother, any attitude towards a sister, any struggle towards the, the things that we go through, that you'll remove that bitterness and that complaining and give us only a heart of compassion. Be with our invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen.